Welcome to Gracious Words. Gracious Words is taken from the weekly women's Bible study taught by Cheryl Broderson at Calvary Chapel, Costa Mesa, California. We behold your glory, God, in the face of Christ. It shows us who you are, revealing who you are. Caleb was a man who understood the promises of God. He was full of faith, and even at 85 years old, he inspired and led the tribe of Judah into the land, conquering enemies and claiming what God had promised. Caleb believed God's promises and saw them fulfilled. And now here is part two of Cheryl's message titled, Pursuing the Promises. I was reading um, these quotes by Hudson Taylor the other day, and he said, there are three steps to God's work in our life. First, it's impossible. Second, we're in it. Third, it's done. God does it all. But he does it his way and in his time and in the place. You know, we think it's going to happen here, Costa Mesa. And God says, no, it's going to happen in Santa Ana. God's going to do it his way. By the way, this is Calvary Chapel, Costa Mesa in Santa Ana. You figure that one out. In Joshua 15, we see that the tribe of Judah has settled the whole southern area of the promised land. To Judah belongs the greatest portion of the promised land. Why? Because 85-year-old Caleb got so excited about all that was available, he just kept laying claim to it. He was just like, well, if you don't want it, I'll take it. He drives out the three giants who are still in the land, Shishai, Ahiman, Talmai. And the fact that their names were given the names of these giants, shows their prominence in Kirjath Arba. They intimidated everybody else, but not Caleb. Caleb then renames the land Hebron. And this is directly connected to the promise God gave Abraham. Because this is the name that Abraham gave to this area. And it's as if Caleb is reliving and claiming the promise of his great-great-grandfather. It has happened. It is the amen. It has been done. This is the only area that Abraham ever owned. This is the only area that Abraham ever owned. Because in Hebron is the cave of Machpelah, that Abraham bought from Ephron in Genesis chapter 23. This is the cave. This is the land where all the patriarchs are buried. And now Caleb has possession of it. This is where Abraham and Sarah, 
This is where Isaac and Rebecca, this is where Jacob and Leah are buried. This is the claim, and now it's renamed. This is the investment of Abraham. And Caleb gives this land to his fellow tribe members. From there, Caleb advances to Kirjath Sefer. And perhaps Caleb is feeling his age because at this point he gives an incentive. Whoever attacks Kirjath Sefer and takes it to him, I will give Aksa, my daughter, as wife. When we were in groups today, um, our leaders meeting, Cynthia um, Izel was bringing up the fact that this is one of the best ways ever to get the perfect son-in-law. An incentive like that, then you're assured that your son-in-law is courageous, a man full of faith, and totally rehearsed in the promises of God. Here is somebody who wants all that God is giving. And we find out that Othniel takes the challenge. Othniel is Caleb's nephew, his younger brother's son. He takes the challenge. He also is enthusiastic about the promises of God. In Judges 3.10, we read that the spirit of the Lord is with him. And later on in the history of Israel, when Israel begins to fall into apostasy, which gives way to oppression because they fail to drive out the Canaanites in the land, it is Othniel that rises up and defeats the oppressors of Israel and then rules Israel for 40 years. So here in this passage, Othniel takes Kirjath Sefer, he conquers it, he possesses it, he becomes prominent in Israel. Othniel does not lose his inheritance, but he remains committed to God and God's promises. He marries Aksa, Caleb's daughter. And Caleb's daughter, Aksa, this young woman, she says to her husband, hmm, I know that we have a field. It was a gift of her father as a dowry, this field. But she said, we need springs. We need to water. And I love the way that it refers to these springs as a blessing. We need more than just the field. We need the blessing. She knows the land. She surveyed it. And she knows that although the land is good, that a field without springs is insufficient. So she goes to her father and she dismounts from her donkey. And what she asks for is a blessing. Father, give me a blessing. You've given me this land, but now give me a blessing to this land. Give me a blessing since you have given me land in the south. Give me also springs of water. Her request is granted. She has persuaded her father, but oh, how she's persuaded her father. He does not just give her the upper springs, but he is so blessed by the fact that she's asked, that she loves the land, that he gives her the upper and lower springs as well. Oxa is commendable. She knows where the springs are. She knows what she needs to be productive in the land. She wants more than just a field. She wants a blessing. She is not content with just a field, but she wants springs as well. And because of her desire, she goes to her father 
She shows respect, but she asks not just for springs, but for his blessing. Caleb is honored by her request. She is her father's daughter. And in response, he gives her a double blessing. God, our heavenly father, desires for us to ask for the springs. In Jeremiah 2, verse 13, God talks about a grave ill that his people have done. He said, they have not come to me, the fountain of living water, but instead they have dug out cisterns for themselves that can hold no water. God wants us to ask for the water. We read in John chapter 7 that on the great day of the feast, when they would symbolize the water coming out of the rock in the wilderness, the priests would, and they pour it out on the, the steps called beautiful, that Jesus stood in the midst of that assembly and he cried out, if any man is thirsty, let him come to me and out of his innermost being will come forth a fountain of living water springing into eternal life. God wants us to desire more than just the field. It's not enough just to read your Bible. You need the spring of the Holy Spirit inside you because John said this he spoke of the Holy Spirit that was not yet given. It is the dynamic duo of God's word and the Holy Spirit that brings the word application, that makes the word come alive in our lives. And God wants us to come. In fact, Jesus tells us we're to come to the Father. And if as parents, we know how to give good gifts to our children, how much more will God give the Holy Spirit to those that ask? As a good father, it's a good gift. We need the, the springs. We are not to settle for just being saved or even just to having the Bible in our possession, but we are to pursue the blessing and the promises of God. Because what happens when we have the blessing and the promises of God? In the midst of adversity, whether it's at a job that's miserable or whether it's in a prison of our circumstances, everyone else can see the favor of God like they saw it on Joseph's life, resting on our life. And when the baker and the butler were in trouble, as we read in Genesis, and they're in prison with Joseph, they seek out Joseph's wisdom, the interpretation of dreams. They seek it out from Joseph. Why? Because they see the favor of God on Joseph. The guard of the prison puts Joseph in charge of the whole prison because he knows he's trustworthy. He knows that he's still upright, has integrity, even though he's in this prison. He's different than everybody else. You see, God wants to give us the blessing. He wants us to ask for the blessing. He wants us to walk in his favor because even when we don't see it, others do. This is our heritage. AXA is an example to us of the divine desire we are to have for God's blessing and promise. Do you pray, God bless me 
I want your blessing. I don't want to live without your blessing. Remember in Numbers chapter 6, the priests were to put the blessing on the people. The Lord bless you. Why? Because he's a blessing God. Because he wants to bless his people. You know, I feel bad asking God for a blessing. Really? Then I'll take it. I want more of it. I want as much as I can. Caleb, as the leader of Judah, inspires both his personal family and clan to take all the promised territory of God. It's great. It's vast. But he takes the majority of the promised land for not just his own tribe, but for the other tribes of Israel. In other words, he says, if you won't claim it, if you won't fight for it, then I'll fight for it and I'll give it to you. Reminds me of being at a birthday party when I was eight years old. I was raised as a poor girl in kind of a wealthy area. And I remember being at a birthday party and this little girl was getting a bubble gum machine. I had begged for like two years for a bubble gum machine. I just thought it was great. You know, you get this really good bubble gum and you save pennies at the same time. It's like earning money while chewing gum. It just seemed like a perfect investment for an eight-year-old. And I begged and I begged and I used to see it. There used to be a toy store on 17th Street that it was too expensive for my parents. But I would walk by it and just look in the window and they had a bubble gum machine in the window. It was colorful. It was, you know, that's when it used to be like iron on the bottom, you know, not these plastic things. And I just would just beg and beg. And I'm at this birthday party. And she's opening her presents like going, oh, hmm, hmm. And I'm looking at him like, if you don't want them, I think you can get a tax write-off from my dad's church if you give them to the daughter. You know, like I wanted all of her presents. And she was just like, oh, hmm, hmm. And then she opened up the bubble gum machine. And I was like, oh. I was like, you know, I want that bubble gum machine. And she's like, bubblegum machine? What am I supposed to do with a bubblegum machine? And then I couldn't take it. I'm like, I'll take it. I'll take it. You know, and it's like, um, could that little girl who was invited to the party maybe, you know, leave? But I mean, I, I, I look at people that like, yeah, God, you know, so what? Promises of God. You're like, oh, these are sure. These are colorful. These are beautiful. These are an investment. Judah succeeded in every way to drive out the squatters, but in the area of Jerusalem. And I believe there's a purpose in there. When it talks about the Jebusites, it doesn't fault Judah for this. Now, the other ones, the Canaanites, they put them to tribute. We're going to see some fault, but not in this one. God reserved the Jebusites for David's conquest, 2 Samuel 5. God had a plan for the Jebusites. And it's interesting that this city had been the place of Melchizedek, king of righteousness that we read about in Genesis 14, 18 through 20. It is not a failure issue, but a timing issue. Also, we read of in 2 Samuel chapter 24, verses 18 through 25, that a Jebusite owned the land where the temple would be built. It's a Jebusite. And so I believe it's a timing issue. God promised it. And Caleb was willing to wait on that time, knowing that one of his descendants would inherit all of it. Moving on to chapter 16 and going on to chapter 17, Manasseh and Ephraim 
the tribes of Joseph settle in the northern territory of the promised land, just right up above the territory of Judah. Half the tribe of Manasseh is settled, as you know, on the eastern side of the Jordan. Ephraim, which is Joshua's tribe, settles the northern part. But there's a lance with Ephraim and driving out the Canaanites that dwelt in Gezer. We read this in Joshua 17, verse 12 through 18. And the tribes of Joseph, which include both Manasseh and Ephraim, allow the Canaanites to stay. They do not put in the extra effort to drive out the Canaanites. Instead, they put them to tribute. Or in other words, they charge them taxes. In fact, they feel that leaving a little bit of this, the Canaanites, just a little bit, will enhance their lives. They can use them for services and get money from them. And the Canaanites have a determination to stay. It's a lot like sin in our lives. There are those that think a little bit of sin, a little bit of compromise. Actually, they, you know, just a little tiny bit. And they can use it for their self-enhancement if they just keep this little bit, this provision. And sin, as we know, is determined to stay. Sin is like those extra pounds. You know what I mean? That extra five pounds. I mean, if I, if I said, who wants to lose at least five pounds? I bet every hand would go up, right? See, I already see hands. It's not an altar call. <laughs> but, you know, everybody has that. But don't you ever feel like they're determined to stay? They're like, no, we like where we've settled in. We're even adding little dimples to your life. You're like, get thee behind me, which it has for me. But you know, those extra, those extra five pounds. And you know, the only way to get rid of those is by driving it out. And I mean, it's by effort, right? I mean, it's by starvation and running and exercise and doing just terrible things to your body. That's, that's the only way because it's, it's so determined. But it says that when Manasseh was strong, when they had the ability, when they could have and should have, when they had multiplied, they still did not drive out the Canaanites. In fact, they intermarried with them. They served the Canaanite gods. And later, these These Canaanites that they put to tribute would put the Israelites to tribute. They would become their oppressors. As Paul said, a little leaven, speaking of sin, leavens the whole bunch. You're never safe with sin. So Ephraim and Manasseh come to Joshua. They complain about their territory being too small. They want more land to accommodate their tribes. Chapter 17, verse 14. Why have you given us but one lot and one portion to inherit since we are a great people inasmuch as the Lord has blessed us until now? I love Joshua's answer. Joshua answers them and says that if they want to increase their portion, they will need to go up to the forest country, clear a place for yourself. They're in the land of the parasites and the giants since the mountains of Ephraim are too confined for you. In other words, you're going to have to put in effort. You're going to have to go up. You're going to have to clear a place. You're going to have to fight, again, the parasites and the giants. The children of Joseph make excuses. The mountain area is too small. All the Canaanites in the valley have chariots of iron. But Joshua calls them out because he said, we're a great people. Joshua said, if you're a great people, and if you have that great power because you're blessed by God, then you can go up to the mountains. You can cut down. You can take care of those chariots. You can drive out the enemy, although they have chariots and are strong. 
You see, Ephraim and Manasseh have become complacent. They want the land and the territory without any effort. They have allowed the enemy to settle in among them, and they don't want to exert the energy. There are those who want to increase spiritually without effort. They don't want any spiritual warfare, so they don't want to upset the enemy by praying that strongholds be taken down. They don't want to exert the effort to pray. Oh, it takes so long. It's like, oh, you know, I forgot. They want the promises of God simply handed to them. They want them just to happen without seeking God's directives, his instructions, or obedience to God's will. It's called entitlement. They want the trophy without playing the game. And that's not how God works. Now, that might be how T-ball works in these times that we live. Like, well, at least you joined. I remember I was a brownie. I had a brownie troop. My brownie troop was all Jewish, except for Lisa Martinez and me. We were all the only non-Jews. That's why we couldn't do anything on Saturdays. I only realized that in retrospect, you know. I had people with the last name of Jacobs and Jacoby and all these. Now I remember and now I know. But I remember we were always in trouble. I was a little scared of my Girl Scout troop. So I would just bring the dues to school and have them take it to the brownie meeting for me and never make any of the meetings. And so they flew me up anyway. You know, I advanced in the Girl Scouts because I was the only one who was faithful with their dues. (laughs) But I'm telling you, it was extortion. I was so scared of those girls. I just paid whatever they wanted and just didn't show up for the meetings. But I still, you know, they... I, I was I got badges and they never showed up. You know, it's like the entitlement, but sometimes we want to do that with the promises of a God. You know, but we don't even want to pay our dues. We just want the badges. And God says, no, there's directives, there's meetings, <laughs> there's dues, there's a specific way into the promises of God. And it is going to take effort. The promises are given us, but they must be claimed, one, by knowing the promises, by asking for the promises, by taking possession or moving into, cutting down, clearing, settling in, driving out the enemy. And when I talk about driving out the enemy, I'm talking about in our own hearts, driving out all the impediments, the doubt, you know, drive the doubt of of dark away. So contrast these men of Manasseh and Ephraim now with the daughters of Zavol, that guy. You know, I practiced this, so I wouldn't do this. Zelophehad. Joshua 17, verses 3 through 6. Zelophehad. These women, these daughters of Zelophehad, they wanted a family inheritance. They didn't want their portion simply through marriage. They wanted their own. They wanted their own, something that could belong to them, something that they could pass down to their sons and daughters. Their father, Zelophehad, had died in the wilderness. He was not among those who rebelled against the Lord. He died because he was part of the unbelieving generations. generation. But his daughters, by contrast, believed the promises of God. They came to Moses, which must have been so intimidating to come to Moses, the lawgiver, the one who had to put a veil over his face because it was so radiant. They went to Moses and they asked for a portion of the promised land because they believed the time would come when they would be in the promised land and they wanted part and parcel. 
because they believed it. So in Numbers 27, one through eight, we are told of the bold thing that they did when they went before Moses. It was bold, especially for women. It was bold because they requested an inheritance in the land of promise. It was bold because Moses would then inquire of God. And when Moses went to God, God said, these girls are right in what they ask. Allocate them a possession among their brethren. Now, these women like Caleb, they now go to Joshua and Eliezer and they remind Joshua and Eliezer of the command that God gave through Moses concerning them and their inheritance. There's a specific way into the promises of God and it comes by way of intention and effort. The promises are given to us, but they must be received and claimed. We do this by knowing the promises and asking for them. By faith, we take possession of them and drive out the enemy who is trying to keep us from victory and receiving the promises of God. As we wholly seek God and trust in His Word, we can claim victory over our doubts, impediments, and distractions and move into the promises that are our heritage. We hope you have been blessed by today's Bible study. For more information about the Gracious Words radio program and the teaching ministry of Cheryl Broderson, please visit our website at graciouswords.com. Coming up next time on the Gracious Words program, we'll look at the danger of complacency as we continue our Possessing the Promises series in the book of Joshua with Cheryl Broderson. We do hope you make plans to join us. Again, for more information, please visit our website at graciouswords.com. This program is sponsored by Calvary Chapel, Costa Mesa, California.